We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Saturday, and that means it's time for the RTCF show. Recruiting, Notre Dame team, and some college football stuff. And Sean, you know, we've we've been hitting on a lot of, I think, kind of heavy topics this week on both of our shows. You know, and so what we decided to do is today is have a little bit of fun, yeah. you know, and, and talk a little recruiting we're going to go when our recruiting conversation is we're going to kind of make some predictions of what we think is going to happen with the 2023 class uh, when they get it to Notre Dame. And then the other one, uh, our team topic today, Sean, is we're going to talk about breakouts and we're going to talk about guys that that we project on offense to kind of break out in various forms, right? Because breakouts can mean different things. And then third topic is going to be college football related. And we're going to talk the top five quarterbacks in college football. Uh, that we we are predicting and projecting into 2025, and then just some other guys to keep an eye on. It, it was sparked by a question we had yesterday in our mailbag, and it was just kind of thrown up on us, and I was thrown up at us, and I was like, you know, I really like to think about this one and 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 kind of come back with a with a conversation because as you mentioned, like if you look at our top five last off season, it didn't look anything like how it ended. Well, the top three was close. Well, four of the five was close. We had C.J. Stroud. We had uh, Bryce Young, or yes, Bryce Young. We had Hendon Hooker, and we had Caleb Williams. Now, our order was off because Caleb was five. When we had Devin Leary in the top 10, and he had an off year. We had Brennan Armstrong in the top 10. He had an, a rough year. We had no, Michael Penix was nowhere to be found on our list last season, and he had a big breakout. So we had Phil Dracovic in the top 10. He had a rough year with injuries and dealing with other issues. So uh, but it's still fun to talk about, right, and, and to look into. And I like the way Sean looked at his list. So we're going to d- dive into that at the end, Sean. And, and um, you know, there something else happened today in college football. We haven't, we didn't get a chance to talk about, and we may, we may talk about that here at some point in time. At the end of the show, too, Sean. I think you know what I'm referring to, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so some head coaching moves at a certain program today that happened. So we might get into that at the end, depending on how much time we have. We may wait till the mailbag if somebody asks about it. But, Sean, I want to begin with some recruiting. And we're going to focus on the Notre Dame recruiting efforts, right? And we're going to talk about the incoming class, the class that Notre Dame just signed. 
And we, we've had some fun with this. And, and I know we're both very high on that class and, and very high on what it brings to the table. So we're going to have a little bit of fun today and go with some predictions that we have for this class, Sean. And, and you know, it's in th- this class enters kind of from a big picture standpoint, Sean, first to begin with, this class enters a unique situation because, in my opinion, this is Notre Dame's best class in over a decade, in my opinion. When you include there's impact talent in the class, you know, offensively, you've got Charles Jackasaw, who's an impact lineman. You've got Jeremiah Love, who's an impact runner. You've got, you know, potential impact the receiver with Great House, uh, with with Braylon James. You know, Rico Flores is a really good player. Caleb Smith is a guy that you and I both won't be shocked if it ends up being a lot better than, than maybe people think he's going to be. Yeah. Defensively, you've got some big-time upside on the D-line. Raw, but a lot of upside. Linebacker, I mean, Jaden Osbury and Drake Bowen, Christian Gray, Michael Bell. There's a lot of impact talent. There's depth. They they met all their needs. They got, you know, Kenny Minchie at quarterback was kind of that final piece of the puzzle. But it also walks into a situation, Sean, where this is arguably one of the deepest Notre Dame teams they've had in a long time. Now, what is the top end talent of this Notre Dame team? That remains to be seen. But I think when you look at it, Sean, it's certainly there's a lot of depth there with the exception of safety. Right. And so we'll get into that at, at some point in time as well. So we're going to have some fun and we're going to kind of project, you know, what we think this class has a chance to do. And we'll, we'll do some freshman year predictions. We'll do some down the road predictions. We're going to have a little bit of fun and and somewhat put our money where our mouth is when it comes to making predictions for the 2023 class. So, Sean, as the guest on today's <laughs> RTCF show, I'm going to let you kick things off and and kind of get into what you think is the first, and it can be either side of the ball, what is the first thing that you think of when you're talking about, okay, I'm going to make this prediction for the 2023 class? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, the 2023 class, in my opinion, is going to make this team better with their ability to push the players in front of them. I think that's something we're going to see starting in spring ball and probably even in these workouts with Matt Bayless. 
in the offseason. That's vitally important. We've heard Marcus Freeman speak about the middle of his roster multiple times in the offseason and how important that is. You start with the quarterback room, and I think you guys did a great show this week talking about how the quarterback room has improved. And you're right, it looks totally different, you know, on this January than it did the previous January for Marcus Freeman and his staff. So with all of that said, look at the domino effect. How does that impact workout? How does that impact the other fields on the practice field? When team, you know, when they go to team and they're spread out, you have the youngsters over there. You have what they script out as the starters right here on this field. Well, the starters are going to be working with Sam Hartman. And then the other field is going to be working with Tyler Buckner. And then on the other field, you got Angelio Kenny Minchie. So the improvement in the quarterback room changes the efficiency of the practices, the way the practices goes. It infuses confidence into your skill position players. It does a lot of different things. And it's greater than just what we're going to end up seeing on Saturdays. The ability to build the middle of that roster, to push the players above them, which I'm not sure last year a lot of players that were coming back really felt any type of pressure. I don't know if a sense of entitlement crept in in some way, form, or fashion. But I think this team in particular is going to have, we know every team, no matter what program you're at, every team has a different vibe to it every year. Even though you're bringing back a lot of people, the people coming in, whether it's via that class and recruiting or the transfer portal, they change things. They change the chemistry. I think the 23 class is going to bring incredible chemistry to Notre Dame just because of the chemistry they had in recruiting and the things we heard from guys like Caleb Smith and Thomas Harper, you know, talking to them and speaking to them about the affinity they have for Notre Dame and how they project national championship hopes onto this roster and to this team from the practices that they were able to watch in bowl preparation. So with all of that being said, you know, one term that I can use that most of us might be used to or have heard, even if we haven't tasted, gumbo. What's the gumbo going to taste like, right? And the most important thing, most people from down south will tell you, if the roux ain't right, the gumbo ain't right. And we know that roux is that gravy. And if the gravy isn't right, doesn't matter what type of seafood you put in there or ingredients. It's not going to be right. And I think the, the greatest thing that this 23 class is bringing in is a great mindset, a great rule for everything else to come in and to operate at its best. So your prediction is going to, based on that, is going to be what? That this class is going to be the foundation to what? Well, I've said this, you know, meeting these young men and talking to them the entire time last year, that I just felt like that they have extreme confidence that they're going to be difference makers. We always talk about gap closers, right? There's one thing one thing to be a gap closer physically. And we talked about this last night. Like, what is the step from high school to college? Right? Some people are just physically gifted and just step onto a field. But even in that, they're going to hit a time in a season where it's going to seem like they've pressed up against an immovable object in their life. Do they have the gumption to keep going? Do they have the resilience to be uh, a persever- person of perseverance? 
that's something that I think this class already has a mindset. So even during that freshman year, when they hit those times, those tough times with Matt Bayless, when they hit those tough times in spring practice, they're going to be the ones that push through and make an early impact. That's something that we, for a long time as Irish fans, have sat back and we all sit back and say, where's this guy? Well, where's this guy? I think this is a year where the freshman class gets four to five impact players mm. on the field. There it at is. At some point. Okay. In some, in some form or some way. Now, there's three different areas of football, right? Special teams, offense, defense. Yeah, because it could be something like Jeremiah Love becoming an impact punt returner or kick returner or something like that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, because I feel like their mindset is we're coming in to make a difference now, and I think they're going to show that toughness and resiliency. Very interesting. To be able to do that. So, like like you mentioned, Jeremiah Love. Uh, Great House is just a dude. He's just a guy that walks in amongst other great players it feels like he's just as great, and he's going to put in the work. He's going to think that, that he's their best receiver the minute he gets on campus. Absolutely. I mean, that's Absolutely. just and, and honestly, that's a that's a good thing. I, yeah. I I'll be honest with you, Sean. I don't know if Notre Dame has had enough receivers over the years that have that 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 you know, like. Well, we're going back to like what Golden Tate. Maybe. I mean, Michael Floyd, Michael Floyd, honestly, I mean, even Will Fuller didn't even really, I mean, Will Fuller played like it, but he didn't necessarily have that. He Mentality was so reserved and quiet. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that guy that just was like, look, none of y'all. Okay. Hey, I love y'all. You're my teammates and all that. But just, just so y'all know, I'm that dude. Yeah. Right. And, and you don't need that. Georgia didn't have that at receiver. They had it at tight end. Notre Dame has had some of that at tight end. I mean, Michael Mayer was that dude, right? Mm-hmm. I think Cole Komet eventually became that dude. Cole Komet 2019 was that guy. Cole Komet in 2018, 2017 was a guy trying to find a role. He was trying to yeah. find a niche, you know yeah. what I mean? And and so we, you know, Tyler Eifert was that guy. You know, he he kind of had that, not in, in an arrogant way, but just like a he played like a dude that just knew there wasn't anybody on the other team that can guard me. Right. And Jaden Greathouse has some of that, and I think they need that. And that leads to my first prediction, Sean. And my first prediction is is that he is the freshman that's going to have the biggest impact. He's going to come in and catch at least 30 passes. And my other part of this prediction is don't be surprised if he makes noise when it comes to the starting punt returner. Don't be Mm. surprised if he's that guy. I mean, look, of all the returning, all the incoming freshmen and all the dynamic ability, and you've talked a lot about Caleb Smith, and, and that's another one. It wouldn't shock me if Caleb Smith makes some noise there. But who had the most punt returns for touchdowns last year? <laughs> it was Jaden Greathouse. I mean, yeah. that's high school, but the point is he fits kind of the mold of what Notre Dame had at punt returner this year. And, and I'm just assuming that that's kind of what they want. First and foremost, they want a guy that's rangy, that can feel the punt. That's super important. Feel the punt is the most important responsibility for a punt. It's not to score. It's to field the punt. Mm-hmm. That means you've got to have the range to get over to the ball wherever it is. That means you have to have the ability to sometimes catch it off of a hop. So you have to have some hand-eye coordination to make sure. Because one thing is you'll see these punt returners, they can catch it good, Sean, when it's when it's kicked in the air. Mm-hmm. But if that thing hops, they don't know how to play it. They get a little scared. They're like a shortstop who's afraid the ball is going to hit them in the face. You know what I mean? But the great ones are guys that know how to play that angle correctly. They see how the ball is being kicked, and then they can react to it when it's off the ground. And then you've got to have a guy, to me, that's big enough to be physical and, and take a little punishment depend, yeah. based on the modern game. 
And so I think that Jaden Greathouse, you don't have, I mean, there's punt returns are very good that aren't that way, but I think for Notre Dame and how they go after it, because they're so aggressive going after punch, you're not getting a lot of protection from your kicking. Right. And I want Brian Mason to maintain, I, I don't want him to be less aggressive to set up returns. Like let your, let your aggressiveness force mistakes by the punter that allow returns or force your aggressiveness to cause the other team to m- put more guys in protection, which allows less guys going down the field. And with that in mind, that's what makes yeah. me think, because Greathouse got that size to kind yeah. of break a tackle, and mm-hmm. he's got vision with the ball in his hands. Like, that's the part of his game that shocked me the most, Sean, when I first started breaking him down. I was like, he's not your traditional after-the-catch guy. No. But he's good after the catch. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that you need. And and remember, when Michael Floyd returned punts in the uh, late in the tw- 2011 season, and he had that long punt return – in the champ sports bowl against Florida state similar thing, you know, broke a tackle early and boom, he was, he was off. And I see Jaden Greathouse being, you know, being a guy that kind of has the same, he doesn't have Floyd's their game has some similarities. Some he's not as big and long as Michael and, and probably not as fast, but he has a very similar swagger to Michael Floyd. Yeah. And he has a similar kind of build, you know, cause Michael was a strong lower body kid. Jaden's a strong lower body kid, Sean. And so to me, he my my first prediction, and it's a little bit bold, is that Jaden Greathouse will catch at least 30 passes as a true freshman. And don't be shocked if he's the punt returner at some point in time. In I, that's interesting that you brought up Brian Mason and you want him to still be aggressive. I think mm-hmm. Brian Mason strategically can scare teams into great returns. And what I mean, what I mean by that. It's like there's so much film that people are going to be watching week to week now. You can give someone a look that looks like a punt block, and you're really setting up a return off the look. And I think that's something Notre Dame is going to take advantage of this year as well. Sean, the South Carolina had the number one ranked special teams in college football last year. Yeah, yeah. And Brian Mason scared them into two false starts. <laughs> yes. Hey, delay, think about that. Delay of games as well. Delay games. That's what I meant. Delay yeah. games. He scared yeah. him into two delay games. The best special teams in the country. The only team that could 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 contend with Notre Dame. And, and where they were better than Notre Dame, they didn't have quite as many pump blocks as Notre Dame. But where they were better than Notre Dame last year was they were a better return team mm-hmm. for the most part than Notre Dame. And so you looked at it and said, you know, this team, and they had a little bit, if I remember correctly, I could be wrong on this, but I thought their kicker, was a little bit more accurate than what Notre Dame's was last year. But you look at it, Sean, and it, it's it's that team had no reason to be scared of Notre Dame. They were the one team you looked at and said, this could be the kryptonite to Notre Dame, or at least neutralize Notre Dame's special teams. Nope, no, scared them into two so. false starts yeah. or two delay games. Yeah. And and that, like you said, that's the thing where he he strikes fear in the hearts of opponents. And look, with this 2023 recruiting class, in the 2022 class, getting a year in the system where guys aren't redshirting anymore, mm-hmm. there's no reason not to have Nolan Ziegler on all your special teams this year now. Right. There's no reason not to have Jalen Snead on your – I mean, they're going to be even more athletic and more dynamic next year on their kick – on their coverage and block units than they were this year. Think about that for a second. You know, and so that that gets you kind of scared. So to your point, Sean, that's going to result in some line drive kicks that your punt returner is going to step onto because – Brandon Joseph, every well, Brandon Joseph wasn't a very good punt returner. He wasn't a very good punt returner, and and he wasn't really a dynamic punt returner. Still finished eleventh in the country in punt return average. Why? Because he was getting a lot of balls. He was fielding with no one within twenty yards of him because 
they were too busy protecting the punter or, you know, they were, the, the punt would be short or, you know, kind of line drive and he was able to kind of come up and get it. Yeah. And you put a more dynamic athlete back there and all of a sudden a couple of those ones where him and Salerno were just a guy away from breaking it all of a sudden with a guy like a Jaden Greathouse, a Caleb Smith, a Jeremiah Love, a guy like that, all of a sudden that, that gets broken mm-hmm. and, and he's off to the races. So I, I would really like to see some, one of the freshmen step into that role this season. If Jer- if Jadarian Price hadn't hurt his Achilles, he'd be someone I'd be talking about, but just I, I just want to see him get healthy first. And, and if he can get healthy, then have him be more of a kick returner. So Jaden Greathouse is my first prediction for this class, Sean. What's, a, what's another prediction that you have? And it can be long-term, it can be short-term, because I know you had some really interesting ones and when we had our superlatives article yeah. at uh, at uh, on Irish Breakdown. So yeah. what's a what's another prediction that you have, Sean, that you want to discuss? Christian Gray is going to force Mike Mickens and his staff to make some interesting decisions at some point during this year. Because they're going to have three really good, long defensive backs. Do you kick him inside? Do you think about kicking Cam inside? Do you put him at nickel and pretty much allow him to take the same path that Jaden Mickey took last year. Jaden Mickey's going to be in the battle, but I think Christian Gray is going to make an impact really early defensively for Notre Dame. I really do. And Notre Dame, I saw an article that Ryan or a tweet that Ryan responded to. And I think you said something about it as well. When people were talking about the top, top five <laughs> duos. Yes, back guy was like, name me a better duo than Travis Hunter and Cormani McClain. It's like, really? Travis Hunter barely even played corner last year, and Cormani McClain hasn't even stepped foot on a college football campus, and they're only anointing him as the best cornerback duo in the country. Well, they're looking at the yeah. upside of the talent, you know, and not looking at film or really checking out numbers. Or using common sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the combo of Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison sounds great, but the trio – of Cam Hart, Christian Gray, and Benjamin Morrison. It's going to sound even better. And that's not to be dismissive of Jaden Mickey to say, I don't think he's going to be a really good player. I think he's going to be a really good player. I'm just saying that Christian Gray is, is going to make an impact early. You you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to double down, and I'm going to share a little bit of what you put in our superlatives. So one of the things that you put in your superlatives to back up that, that you felt this way for a while, and this was on signing day in December, is – your, one of your bold predictions was Notre Dame is going to have back-to-back years of first-round draft picks a corner. Yeah. Benjamin Morrison, after his time is over, and then Christian Gray a year later. Yep. And it is kind of interesting to see, like, there's a lot of similarities between those two players. I think Benjamin's – I graded out Benjamin um, higher than Christian. Mm-hmm. I love Benjamin from junior year – I mean, moment I saw him on. Christian, as you know, Sean, I was I liked them, but I didn't love them. Right. But his senior year was so much more it was so much more impactful. He just looked more natural at corner. He you could see the speed a little bit more and how they played. And I think the up and the up the the competition being upped and I oh, mean it was insane. He, he faced you could everybody. then see like because like there were times like, okay, is he just not fast or is he just toying yeah. with this guy? You know what yeah. I mean? And then when he's playing Aaron Scott, when he's playing Cardinal Tate, when he's playing against Ryan Wingo, you're like, okay, yeah, this kid can run. Yeah, this kid can run. He jumped for me. He was a borderline top 150 kid as a junior. Sean jumped into a legit top 100 player as a senior, in mm-hmm. my opinion. So he he certainly saw a jump as a senior. So I I, I really liked 
I really liked kind of where you're at um, yeah, with your head there. I'm, I'm going to make another one, Sean, and I think you're going to like this one. At some, Notre Dame will have another freshman All-American this year on offense. They had one two years ago with Joe Alt. They had one three years ago with Michael Mayer. They're going to have another one in 2023, and it's not going to be Jane Greathouse. It's going to be Charles Jagasaw. Mm. That's my prediction. And it's going to be very similar to what happened with Joe Walt. He won't start day one, but by middle of the year, he's going to jump into the, the lineup by either because he's just too good or there's an injury or something's going to happen. And he's going to end up being the dude. Because we've seen a we've need we've seen an uh, Notre Dame has needed someone to replace an injured player every year for the last I mean, it happened in 2020, 2022 because Jarrett Patterson didn't start the opener. Mm-hmm. He was injured. It happened in 2021 with, uh, I mean, you had multiple, Blake Fisher gets hurt in the first half of the first game. Mm-hmm. Then you had some other injuries. You ended up using like four left tackles at some point in time during the year. Yeah. You know, used uh, two left guards during the year. In 2020, Jarrett Patterson got hurt. Then Tommy Kramer got hurt. Then Zeke Carell got hurt. You know, and then, and so you've seen this a lot. 2019, I'm trying uh, – Robert Hainsey, remember, got lost for the season in 2019. Tommy Kramer battled injuries in 2019. And at one point in time, you had Trevor Rulin and Josh Lugg at your right guard, right tackle. And so we've seen this before, right? 2018 – or yeah. oh, another one, 2020, was when Lee Meikenberg got knocked out of the Florida State game for a little bit. You had to bring in Dylan Gibbons. He played really well and before Liam came back in. So we've seen it, right? So I'm just going with trends. And to me, the guy that, that – I think that Charles Jagasol – is a guy that by the middle of the year is going to be very hard to keep off the field. Is my is my prediction. Well, we've talked about him, and this, of course, you know, a lot of people. When Ryan was down in San Antonio, you heard about him being out with the injury. You know, I talked to him right before his procedure, which was right after the uh, bowl game. Is that everything went perfect? Feels great. He'll be ready to go springtime. And if he's physically ready to go, he's physically ready to go. That's 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 my double entendre today. If he's physically ready to go, he's physically ready to go. And I don't think it will be middle of the spring. There are going to be some discussions in the coach's room after practice. Like, uh, so, yeah, <laughs> I know we really don't want to go ahead and put a freshman out there this early at the top of the uh, rotation, but he's 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 good. It's, it's tough to hold back, and it's tough to keep him from – strategically as a coach, because you, you've been there before in these rooms. Strategically as a coach, when you have a kid that's that good, like what games, and I, I hate to say games, but that's the only word that I can use right now. But what what motivations can you use by not allowing him to kind of like ascend to the number one, you know, maybe slow it down a little bit or just don't put it on paper. Continue to let him work, continue to let yeah. him chase. It until... is happen. It would it he would be he would be not a starter until the first game he's going to start. Okay. I mean, it would just be like, I'm not hyping him up. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not doing, I'm now I'm putting a lot of push. I'm pushing him in the, in the film room and I'm pushing mm-hmm. him on the field and practice. I'm doing all that. Yeah. I'm getting him some work. I'd probably the days that we have the media there, I mm-hmm. probably don't let him get first team reps that day. 
Mm-hmm. You know, because I think sometimes Notre Dame has done a, a like I felt like this the way that they hyped up Jerry Tillery as a redshirt for like as a freshman, like during spring and fall camp, there was no way he was going to be able to live up to expectations by the time we got to the season. No way. And I, I don't necessarily want to do that. I, you know, start hyping him up once he gets into the lineup. Right. And I think that's something that I'd like to see Notre Dame do a little bit better job of is really pushing their players for some of these all American awards and things like that. Right. You know, like they should have pushed, they should have done more to push Blake Fisher to be an all American freshman, all American, the way that, that, you know, they did Joe Alt as an all American, things like that. Yeah. And so to me, I'd like to see a little bit more of that. That's just part, but their staff's also evolving and developing and growing and all that. But that's the thing for me, though, is just get the, the, the big, big thing is just if the opportunity is there, you, you let them have it. But he'd have to be like clearly, clearly better than the guys in front of him for me to play him. And that's going to be the challenge for that prediction is it's not going to be easy for even a guy like Charles Jagasol to come in and say, Okay, Andrew Kristoffic, Billy Shrouth, Rocco, Michael Carmody, Ashton Craig, Ty Chan. Sorry, guys, I'm beating you all out. You know what I mean? Is he capable of it? Yeah, and we're having some fun with some bold predictions today. You know, but I'm also at the standpoint of when we talk about sophomore breakouts, which we're going to do on our podcast coming up at some point in time this week, there's a couple guards that are going to be in the conversation for potential sophomore breakouts. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be easy. So, but it may be an injury. It may be something. I mean, it may be a tackle. I mean, who knows? Like if somebody goes down there, but I just have this feeling that at some point in time this year, Charles Jagasaw is going to step into the lineup and be like, okay, that guy's, that guy's ready to go. That yeah. guy's ready to go. You got an, you got another one, Sean. So we've talked about yeah. Christian Gray. You know, oh, just pulling from the superlatives for me. I just fully believe that at some point, Kenny Minchie is going to be the backup quarterback going into a Saturday game. Okay. Which means he's going to be able to go into a game and operate Tommy Reese's offense. And the only way that happens is because of injury. But we fully expect at some point injury to happen for one of your quarterbacks in college football. It's just, that's just the way it is. Right. You, you're not, you don't feel forced to play Sam Hartman if he has a nagging injury because you feel comfortable starting Tyler Buckner for a game which means Kenny Minchie's going to be his backup and he's going to be one play away from coming into a game on a Saturday. And I said this, going into November, he's going to be ready to start a football game. He's not going to be ready to be who he is, but he's going to be competent enough, if you want to use that word, to start a football game at Notre Dame and run a simplified offense. Like if you go look at what they were able to do last year with Drew Pine, I fully expect that Kenny Minchie will be able to do that. A simple game plan, depend on the running game, make some easy throws, do your job. We walk out of here with a win. I think Kenny Minchie is going to show. I think we're going to hear things about Kenny Minchie Mm -hmm. in practice throughout the year. Like, yo, this kid's really picked up the offense fast. Yeah. 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 Here's one for me. The best blocking tight end by the end of the 2023 season will be Cooper Flanagan. He will be, he, he will, he, I, I have a, I have a feeling if Cooper puts in the work this off season, mm-hmm. that he's going to end up playing a lot more than people think because Mitchell Evans, Mitchell Evans is a good player. Um, I'm going to talk about Holden Stace here in a little bit. Mitchell Evans isn't a great blocker yet. Now, one of my things is, is Mitchell Evans is a guy that I have a – I'm not going to predict him as a breakout just yet, 
I'm going to go with kind of somebody else, but I won't be surprised if Mitch Evans has a huge jump in year three because I'm anticipating, and this is why I'm not ready to predict it yet. I'm, I'm more saying don't be shocked if it happens, but I'm not predicting it because in order to predict it, I need to see him make a big jump physically, not size-wise, but like he needs to get a lot stronger because, again, he is a converted quarterback, not so much a, a tight end by trade, you know. If he has that kind of jump, then then that may change some things, right? But for me, I have a feeling that Cooper Flanagan is going to be that guy that comes in early in the career, and you're like, yo, this guy is going to be a really good blocker for us. Does that mean he's going to be number two tight end? I don't think so. But I don't. I will not be shocked at all, especially when you consider the injury to Eli Raritan. I will not be shocked at all that if he's healthy, Cooper Flanagan is the number three tight end this year. And when I mean number three tight end, not that if one of the top two tight ends goes down in a pass catching role, they put Cooper in there. That's what I'm talking about. I'm literally talking about the way that they use 12 and 13 personnel, where he'll be the guy that comes in and he's going to come in and be attached to the line of scrimmage and block a defensive end. I think he's going to be really good at that the moment he gets to campus. And the other tight ends in the roster, to be honest with you, that are, that are not that are healthy aren't that guy. Eli Raritan would be that guy if, if I thought he was going to be healthy, but I just don't see any scenario in which he's healthy at the beginning of the season. I just I I I just don't see it. I, I don't I just don't see it. I don't think they want to rush Eli Raritan at this point as well. Yeah. I think they're going to depend, which makes Cooper Flanagan and the point you're making um, more plausible for the simple fact that they're not going to rush Eli Raritan. And he's going to end up, uh, you're going to end up seeing Cooper Flanagan being. And, and, and you know what? I didn't think Cooper Flanagan was that physical until I saw him play defense. Yeah. Once I saw him play defensive end in his senior year, I was like, oh, okay. This kid, he may be able to come in and play immediately because of his physical, you know, physical traits and the way he plays the game, which would go into him being a really good blocker. You're a good blocker at tight end. You're going to get on the field. Yeah. At in this at, on at this team, yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. At Notre Dame. You know what's funny, Sean? You you say that like one of the things that kind of is like okay, guys. Like every time there's a defensive line deficiency, or they say hey, we need a 300 pounder, like hey, let's move X offensive lineman over there, right? There's always right. that comment, you know, right? And and even though he's too slow footed to play guard, let's move Rocco Spindler to nose tackle. Like okay, I'm I, I considered if you're going to go to a two gapping offensive defensive line. Okay, let's consider that. However. For me, what I'm referring to more is the conversation about, well, just move this guy to the other side of the ball. The, Cooper Flanagan's not a guy that I would immediately poo-poo that if there was a need. There's not a need on this team. They don't need a guy like him at defensive end right yeah. now. They got a lot of guys like him. However, let's just say something happens over the next year, and all of a sudden you don't have any big ends. Like you don't have good depth at big end, and you're loaded to tight end. Yeah, I'd move Cooper Flanagan over there because I think he could play there, not just like Absolutely. be a, a depth guy. Mm-hmm. He could play there. And I don't often say that about a lot of guys. And I'll say this is an interesting class because there are a lot of guys in this class that I think could play in their name on both sides of the ball. I mean, th- you look at the defense, <clears throat> the opposite is true. Let's say there's some injuries at tight end. Guys don't pan out. There's some injuries. Hey, uh, hey, Coach Golden, Coach Laronitis, let me holler at you for a minute. <clears throat> Do y'all mind if we uh, – if we house Preston's enter over here, like can we can we take him over here? Because that kid can help us, right? No doubt. I mean, that's a guy that can play on offense at Notre Dame. I mean, yeah. he, he flat out is. So yeah. 
you know, there's there's guys like that in this class. You know, Christian, if Christian Gray wanted to be a wide receiver, he wouldn't be as good of a receiver as he is as a corner, but he could play there, Shoot. in my opinion. Josh Burnham you know? could play two positions yeah. off. <laughs> Josh Burnham could do what we talked about with, with Preston Zinter. Yeah. You know, but we, J- Jeremiah Love, Michigan offered him as a DB. I mean, he, he could legit go play in the secondary. I don't want him to play there. Notre Dame sees him as an offensive guy. But the point is, is there's just a lot of good football players on this team, Sean, where you look at him and say, boy, this guy could play on at this level, could play on both sides of the ball. Yeah. And and guys like that, just they're just not – you don't find a lot of them. And, I mean, look, if Notre Dame was a 21-personnel a team – well, I t- put it like this. Wouldn't you – if Lou Holtz – if they were still running the Lou Holtz's offense – there's a certain kid from Maryville, Indiana, that I wouldn't mind seeing playing fullback in this offense. Oh, absolutely. You know, because the fullback in under Lou Holtz was a guy that got the rock. You know what I mean? So, so I mean, there's a lot of dudes that could play both sides of the ball in this offense yeah. or on this football team in certain roles. And and I think that adds to the value of, of what this class brings to the table for me, without question. You got any other predictions, Sean, for the uh for the incoming freshman class? It can be uh, it can be career wise. I think one for me was um, uh, here. Here's a couple that Ryan had. Ryan said two wide receivers in this class will get drafted in the top two rounds of the of the NFL draft whenever they come out. Yeah. So he he had that prediction, and he I like how he didn't say specifically who it would be because we all agree that like it could be Rico. He could break out and be that guy. It could be Caleb Smith. He could break out and be that guy. That's what makes this receiver class really impressive. Is you know, there's no there's no guaranteed day one this guy's going to be a star, guys. But there's a lot of good football players in this group. A lot of good football players in this group with a lot of upside, and uh, and and they're going to have a chance to <clears throat> to be impactful players. And then here's one that I had, Sean. Uh, my my bold prediction from back on signing day was at least five players in the defensive class will get drafted from this defensive class will get drafted. And I could see two to three of them being day one or two picks. I think, I think at least one of the linebackers gets picked. I think at least one of the DBs gets picked and I would argue potentially two. Right. I could, I would argue at least potentially two of the linebackers, but where I think the most NFL potential in this, even though this position group right now is a big question mark because it's a low floor, high ceiling group, the most NFL potential on the defensive class is on the is on the defensive line. I mean, from, I'm from an upside standpoint. upside standpoint, yeah. 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 Like yeah. If everybody taps into their full potential, you could argue that three of the guys on the defensive line are have the most potential and most upside of anyone on the defense. You could make that case. I wouldn't necessarily quite go there, but I've said this before. If everybody taps out, I think Bubakar Traore is one of the high three highest uh, drafted kids out of this class. That's either side of the ball. Yeah, that's either side of the ball. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, now he's got a long way to go to get there. Long way to go. But he reminds me so much of Adi Takumba Ogandiji with here's the exception, though. He's already as big now as <laughs> Adi was when he finished his five-year career at Notre Dame. Yeah. You know, he could end up being a 275, 280-pound defensive end with 80-plus-inch wingspan and an explosive burst off the edge. Now, he could also be a guy, Sean, that never sees a meaningful snap in his career. He's very raw. But the tools are outstanding 
for Adi Tugu, or for, for I was gonna say Adi Tugubo Ogadiji for uh Bubakar Traori. And so uh, Brendan Vernon's another guy. I don't think people, uh, Brian's talked about this. A lot of people in the, that think kind of Brendan's a high floor guy. Mm-hmm. I think he's a high ceiling guy. I think he's got a long way to go from learning how to play the game. Uh, Armo Mukum's a really interesting player. And a guy that doesn't get nearly enough love for being really talented is Devin Houston. I think that kid's really, I, I could be missing something here, but I saw a picture of them of the freshman class like to the early enrollees, like at the front with, with Marcus Freeman and Devin Houston was the tallest guy, of the group. I mean, he is going to be good in my opinion. And so, you know, to me, I, I think two of the defensive linemen, I could, and then three of guys on the back level, some way, some ha- ha- some fashion end up being, being drafted when it's all said. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. He might be the one kid that elevates. When you go back and you look at a class five to ten years from now, Devin Houston might be the one that you look at and say, yo, his three years, his four years in Notre Dame made this class even better than we thought it would be, right? And underrated, I would put him and Sam Pendleton right there is probably two of the most underrated players in this class. That kid's strong. Yeah. The Sam Pendleton, would Harry he stand? Yo, oh, dude, he's, he's a hairy guy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and absolutely. I mean that Harry he stand guy, not not getting and weird. And you know what I mean. He has a mindset or an alter ego similar to Quentin Nelson. He, to where Quentin is a really good, like teammates love Quentin, really good dude off the field. But something clicks when he puts that helmet on and he turns into a totally different person. Mm-hmm. And, and that's Sam Pendleton. So. He's got that he's got that disposition that Harry loves. Mm-hmm. He puts the glasses on off the field. Yeah. He's an intellectual kid. He could sit there and talk scripture. He could sit there and talk politics. He could sit there and talk whatever. And then you put the helmet on and he's a big country boy that wants to destroy you. Yeah. And and I, Harry loves those guys. He loves those guys that are that that have that kind of intellect. You know, but but guys that when they get on the field, boy, who they're going to rip your head off. Rip your head off. You know, and he, those are the kind of guys Harry Heastan wants. And you're correct. Dil, Sam Pendleton has that kind of disposition. We'll see if he's athletic enough to be that kind of guy. But the mentality, and he's already 305. He's already strong as an ox. 
I'm very curious how he develops because you you kind of look at Sullivan Absher and he 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 kind of plays the way he acts, right? He's just a fun loving kid and he mm-hmm. has fun playing the game and you know talks a little trash doing all. I mean, you know, but Sam's just like it's like he's one of those switch kids, right? Yeah. It's the switch that when he gets on the field that switch that switch goes on and he's a different cat when he's on the field than than he is off of it. So that that's a that's a good one. Sam Pendleton's I got to keep an eye on. Yeah, when he learns technique and it, look, I think we talked about this tomorrow. There's going to be an NFL playoff game that is going to show why Harry Heastan is the best, in my opinion. There are going to be three guys on the field in the 49ers Cowboys matchup that are going to show they dominate. You're going to have Aaron Banks and McGlinchey next to each other on the left side for the 49ers. And then just watch Zach Martin. If you didn't watch Zach Martin on Monday night against Vita Vea and the technician that he is, like you talk about the athlete and all that, the technician he is and how he out-leveraged Vita Vea all night long and just held him at bay while he tried to bull rush and put – and he just anchors and just technique, just worked his big tail all night long. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, is what you were able to see Quentin Nelson. Like, they knew physically that Quentin Nelson was coming in practice. But once he learned the position, which I think Sam Pendleton is going to learn and pick up on early, because of what you just talked about, he's a very bright kid. So I don't think it's going to take him a long time to pick up on technique, leveraging the right way to play the position. By the time he hits his sophomore year, you talk about him and Jagasaw being next to each other on the, on one side. That could be a pretty good combination as well. Yeah. So there are so many things to talk about with this 23 class. Along predict- those lines, Sean, one of the predictions I made on signing day was that Notre Dame would have three kids from this class start on the offensive line, be full-time starters, not like start a games. Yeah. Because, and that may not seem like much, but – if you go back and look at Notre Dame's great classes over the years, that would tie the the most. Yeah. So they had that five man class in 2013. That was the McGlinchey Elmer class. Yeah. That class technically had three starters, but like one of those guys, Colin McGovern, began the 2016 season as starter. He didn't finish yeah. the year as a starter. Right. So I don't really count him. Montalus never started. Hunter Biven was never a start. Like Hunter Biven had some spot starts and replaced some injured guys, and he was a very good rotation player, but he wasn't like a full time starter. It was Elmer and McGlinchey. The great 2014 class was probably the best hit percentage. Harry had two great hit percentage classes, like they all, almost all of them hit. It was Q, Alex Barr, Sam Mustafer, and Jimmy Byrne. Three of those four guys were multi-year starters at Notre Dame and have started games in the National Football League. That's a very high success rate for a position. 2015, the only starter from that group was uh, Trevor Ruland, and he was a spot starter of injuries. And in 2016, he only signed three offensive linemen. Two of them became multi-year starters, Lee Meikenberg and Tommy Kramer. Yeah. And and you could argue that the 17 class was the best because you had three guys that were multi-year starters at Notre Dame, Josh Lug, Robert Hainsey, Aaron Banks. And then even though Dylan Gibbons has never started Notre Dame, he was a multi-year starter at, at Florida, Florida State. State. Absolutely. Right. So that class hit four for four, right? Yeah. And y'all, y'all uh, kind of wonder, like. If Harry doesn't leave, does D- Dylan Gibbons leave? No, he's starting at right guard instead of Kane Madden last year. That's what happens if Harry doesn't leave. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. And and so uh, that that but like so so the point is three guys starting from a class 
is a very good success rate when you consider how you're pack, stacking really good classes on top of each other. It's hard for that many guys from one class to become at least full-time starters for a year. Yeah. And, you know, I think Jagasaw will be that guy. I think Absher will be one of those guys. And then it's, okay, who's that next guy? Is it Pendleton? Is it Odding? Is it is it Christopher Tarek? It wouldn't shock me if it's more than that, but I, 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 going beyond that starts getting into territory like, hey, bro, that's like we haven't seen that before. And that's that's a bold prediction when you consider how good last year's class was and how good next year's class is going to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, uh, But I see three of those guys being full-time starters. Let me ask you a question. You've been doing this for a while. You always do like upside for mm-hmm. a class. At the top positions for the NFL, is this one of the first classes for Notre Dame where you feel like they have a first-round high upside guy at tackle, quarterback, cornerback, like the positions that go really high in the NFL draft? Is this the first draft of recruiting class in a while where you sit back and you say, yo, Notre Dame has high upside kids first round second round kids at these positions and that I'd are really to, important at college football as well. I'd have to go to yeah. 2013 um I I don't know I still would like to have seen like what Malik could have been if he wouldn't have got hurt and been able to develop as a quarterback I thought he had a lot of ability as a quarterback uh you look at Cole Luke was a guy that I loved coming out of that class as well Yo, for a while there he was yeah really, until yeah. Van Gorder ruined him <clears throat> and then you look at that class. I loved Mike McGlinchey coming out. I, I I thought Mike McGlinchey had the highest upside in that class. I was not big on Montalus. I liked McGovern, but you know he ended up not panning out. I thought Biven would be a good, solid backup. I, I really didn't think Montalus could play. I never understood that one. Uh, but I loved McGlinchey's upside, and the whole thing was kind of like with Joe Alt and some of these other guys. Is if he can if he can put the weight on and keep that athleticism, because McGlinchey was like 250, 260 when he signed. Because he's a basketball player. If he can keep the weight on it, and, and Mill Wagner's the other one yeah, it, that is in that category. If he can keep the weight on and get up to 290, 295, and still maintain that athleticism, he's going to be special. And then I like Steve Elmer a lot. He was obviously a two-and-a-half-year starter at Notre Dame. So uh, that 20 – and then you also had dynamic receivers in that class with – you know, I with, I love Torrey Hunter coming out. You know, you know it, but I didn't – but I didn't project any of them to be Will Fuller. You know what I mean? So I can't, you know, this class to me, the reason I think this class is better is that class had some guys like that. I thought if Greg Bryant could have kept his head on straight, I thought he could have been a really good running back in like the next level. Torrey and I thought was going to always be a great, really good college back, but didn't have the, the explosiveness to be a guy that could be an NFL guy like that. I thought Torrey would be a really good kind of like third down back in the NFL, a Kevin Falk type. And had he not hurt his knee, I think that's where he was, he was headed. But I thought Greg Bryant had like day two NFL draft pick ability if he could have kept his head on straight. I thought McGlinchey had first round draft pick potential. I thought Steve Elmer had day two draft pick potential. I thought Jalen Smith was an elite player. I thought Max Redfield had day two draft potential. And I thought Cole Luke had that as well. I, and and like you said, Cole Luke looked like that his first two years. Absolutely. I mean, he was a key reserve in 2013. And in 2014, he was excellent. And then he just kind of slowly regressed. Uh, the thing that hurts him too is he played in a bad strength program. Cole wasn't a naturally explosive player. He needed that push, and he never got it. Mm-hmm. And so, <clears throat> playing with uh, 
Paul Longo really hurt his development, in my opinion. This class to me has it at even more positions because that D line only had that class only had two D linemen. It was Isaac Rochelle and Jacob Matuska. And I liked Isaac Rochelle, but Isaac Rochelle was exactly what I thought he'd be a really good, solid, multi year player that, you know, was a, you know, day three NFL draft pick. I also think Isaac Rochelle would have probably been picked higher if he had a better coach or better strength program and a better coach to begin with as well. But that's kind of who he was. You know, he, he was sort of a self-made guy to a certain degree at Notre Dame, in my opinion. But this class has way more upside at more positions, right? Like absolutely. With Malik I had one of the best arms, like just powerful arms you're going to find. But he, as I've talked about before, he was making the transition from an option offense at, at Kettering Alter. So there was some projection there, but how's he really going to project, right? Love the tools, love the leadership and all that. But how's he going to project into a, a, a system? And we never got a chance to see him fully do that because of the injuries and then the, all the nonsense that happened in 2016. Kenny Minchie is more of a walk in the door, this kid's a college quarterback type of guy, mm-hmm. right? Running back Jeremiah Love has every bit the upside that Greg Bryant and Torin, and Torin Folson had. He and uh, I wouldn't have said that a year ago. I'd have said, or I'd have said the upside is there, but I still question. I did question a year ago. Is he a natural running back? He answered those questions for me this <laughs> past year. Uh, you know, tight end. Both classes had good tight ends. I actually liked Durham Smythe a lot. I was not shocked that he ended up becoming a you know a, a fourth round draft pick. Uh, I, I liked him coming out. I wasn't a big Mike Hireman fan. I think the the offensive line classes are very similar. Like one really elite guy. McGlinchey in 13 with upside Jagas on this class. And then just a lot of really good players. Yeah. I never thought Steve Elmer was going to be like a star, like five, but I just, he's a really good player. He's going to be big, tough, strong kid. That was going to be a good player for a long time. And then some other solid depth guys. This class is similar, but I think this class has more starting potential than that class had. Absolutely. Like there were two guys in that class that I just flat out weren't going to be starters at Notre Dame. And, and no, I, I did like Hunter Bibbon because he was vert. He could play center. He could play tackle. He could play guard. And I, and I said, well, I love that pickup because I thought a guy like him, you need in the offensive line that like he played center in high school. He played offensive tackle in high school. He could play guard, obviously played guard at Notre Dame, but I never viewed him as like a starter. Yeah. Right. Montalus was not, a, I, I, again, I never understood the <laughs> Montalus one. This class to me has five guys that could pretend that have starting tools. Now they won't all start most likely because again, you sign some dudes like that in last year's class, and they're going to sign some dudes like that in next year's class. And it's just, you know, somebody gets hurt, somebody doesn't pan out. This is how it goes, right? And and so who could have foreseen, like, what happened with Joey Tonona last year? You, you just never know. And so, but they all, if, if any of those five guys start someday, you're not shocked. You're not no. shocked. Now, you know, Chris Terrick, to me, would be kind of at the bottom of the guys I predict to start. But again, that's a kid, a big six five plus 300 plus pound kid that you beat Wisconsin for. Right. And, and so if that's your bottom of your, of your potential starting lineup and like Joe Odding, the only thing that could meet, could keep him off the field is just, can he, can he gain the weight and maintain his athleticism? But like, he's got really good tools. Yeah. And you've talked about Pendleton. So yeah, that offensive line class, Sean brings a lot of that potential. And then the D line class has way more upside. Now the linebacker class has no one in Jalen Smith's league. Do you know who else in college football doesn't have someone in Jalen Smith's league? Every other team in America. <laughs> you think? Okay. Yeah. But the depth of this linebacker class is so much better. I mean, yeah, like Michael Deeb 
and Doug Randolph. I was never a huge. I, I liked Doug Randolph as a as more of a three four outside linebacker, but not as like an off ball linebacker. I never saw him as an off ball linebacker. I thought he was going to be a guy that was going to come up off the edge and 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 be a you know be a pass rusher. Right. But it was Jalen, and then a big drop off. Whereas this class is three really good players, and then the secondary had two really good players in it in 2013, Sean. But the, but it, it, like a lot of Brian Kelly's classes, it came up short in numbers, and and that was the issue. So like you got Cole Luke, who I loved. I don't know what you thought of him coming out of high school, but there was Cole Luke and Rashad Kinlaw, and Rashad Kinlaw wasn't it. You know, uh, and and he was just kind of like a guy, like you're okay. That's that's a that's Throw a Devin in on the back end. Yeah, Devin Butler. Yeah. yeah, Devin Butler was a guy that I thought could be a good, you know, good solid safety. You know, good rotation guy, but not a not a guy that's looking to say, boy, that guy's going to be a dude. And Devin Butler was exactly what I thought he was going to be in college, right? Which is a nice, good depth player. If somebody yeah. goes down, he steps in and plays good football, and that's what he did in 2015. Now he's coaching football out there on the East Coast. Right, you know, right. So, yeah, because he had a good mind for the game. To your yeah. point, right? He just wasn't an, an elite athlete. Right. It's kind of like a lot like DJ Brown. You know, he just he, he was a better athlete than DJ was. But you know, just DJ's not a really explosive athlete. Yeah, and and so like when you remember when Kavari got hurt late in 2015, Devin stepped into the lineup and played good football. But he was he was a rotation guy. Where this DB class to me has a lot more uh, starters. Yeah, you recruited starters. I mean, you, Brandon Hillman. Did you watch the Polynesian Bowl last night? I that watched a little bit. Is a long. Yes, he is. He got some range yeah. now. Uh, obviously, we know Adon Schuler is a really good steady player, and then Ben Minich has a, is a guy that's really grown on me. And then the two corners are legit. So it was just the depth everywhere, Sean. Yeah, you know, just like man, you're just you're getting dudes everywhere, and that's what I think some people are missing a little bit about how good this class is yeah you can focus on the rankings all you want but they landed really good football players everywhere that's why i asked the question right because i couldn't i couldn't remember a class where i'm looking and i'm saying okay quarterback pass rusher defensive back wide receiver like you'd have to go to 08 sean last time that happened that was the dane christ michael floyd kyle rudolph uh, you know, class and that, that, but that, and the reason that class is probably the only other one that can compete with it is because that's one of those classes where Charlie actually got some, some really good DBs. Yeah. Uh, and, and now edge rushers, I, I liked Darren, Darius Fleming a lot. He was a good player. Uh, but you, Ethan Johnson, have you, is we heard anything about him? Have they, did they find him by chance? Do you have any idea? I haven't heard any, I, oh, I did I a search about anything. a month ago. Yeah. I didn't hear anything. anything. Yeah, but he was a big time player to me. But the thing that, that separated that class from a lot of Charlie's other classes is he got three really good DBs in that class. Now, again, he came up short in numbers, but I loved Robert Blant coming out of high school. He was an NFL draft pick. I love Jamar Slaughter coming out of high school. He was an NFL draft pick. And I'm going to say this right now. The best athlete of that group, had he not had been injured, would have been an, the highest NFL draft pick of all th- all those guys is Dan McCarthy. Yes. That dude could play, but he just could never stay healthy. Couldn't stay healthy. Jamoris might have also – I think Jamoris would have been drafted higher too if it had not been injuries. But Jamoris was a little undersized. Dan was like 6'1 and a half, 6'2", athletic as all get out. And that's what made that 20, 2008 class so good from a recruiting standpoint uh, uh, was, was kind of that – like you had guys a lot of different places. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's 
That's the key. And the Morris went from kind of corner nickel back to safety, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And none of those guys were natural corners. Like Blanton ended up playing corner, but he would have been better off playing safety in college. But he had to play corner for you know for other reasons. But that but that the 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 big knock on that class for me, Sean, was off ball linebackers. I liked Anthony McDonald as a thumper Mike, but he was a little he lacked some range. I thought he could have been a really good thumper Mike in a three four type. Uh, but you know he got real tight and couldn't couldn't move. And then David Puzlesny was one of those ones where you're like great story, but um, that kid's not a Notre Dame football player. Like there's a reason he's not going to Penn state <laughs> where his brother went. Right. But this class doesn't have that position. I mean, the, the closest you get to it is safety, but then again, Brandon Hillman could be a dude. Adon and Minich have talent. It's not a stretch. There's no David Poslesny that you're hoping can be better than you think that it could be. And I think that's the thing that I really like about this class. Um, that makes it kind of exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sean, that's going to do it for the recruiting part. We're going to dump into some team stuff next. But before y'all y'all go, uh, just a reminder, uh, you can find Sean's Lucky Lefty show. He, If you, Sean, you know, stand up, Sean, or sit up, Sean, show him, the, show him the, the merch that your wife got. You got that little Lucky Lefty um, deal there. You can find their show on the CFB Nation uh, podcast app. So make sure that you subscribe there. You can find it on Apple, Google. I believe it's on Spotify as well. Definitely check that out. And then also our CFB Nation YouTube channel is now up and monetized. So we got three videos up there today that John Garcia and I did. We broke down Cormani McLean's film and explained why we thought he was the best cornerback in college fo- in high school football this year, even despite all some of the other issues that we have with Cormani and how he's handled his recruitment. But once the helmet gets put on, that kid can flat out ball. We broke down Deuce uh, Robinson and Nicholas Harbor, and the, we talked about the John talked about the latest in their recruitment, and then we bro- broke down their film. All three of those videos can be found on the CFB Nation podcast channel. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
For the ones who get it done.